You're listening to 97.5 WOBN, The Wild Card. That was You by Two Feet. I'm Noah. And I'm Nate. And this is Retrospection Radio Hour. How was your week? Doing anything fun? Uh, nah, it was just kind of just a regular old week, you know, just working and whatnot. Nothing really too crazy. How's, uh, you said you were looking for a job, right? How's that going? Oh, yeah, I got it. I have an orientation next Thursday. There you go. Congratulations. I know. Are you excited? Are you feeling nervous? or? I am incredibly nervous. <laughs> I'm very Why is ter- that? Because it's just a, it's a big jump. You know, I'm used to working in food service. So it's oh, like, yeah. Now you're going to audio engineering? It's not audio engineering. I guess I'm doing stagehand work, which is fine. Because I'm going to be still, I guess, setting up like lighting and audio equipment and stuff like that. So like, I guess I at least get to be around the stuff. Well, and if you show your knowledge and where you are, it, it's probable that somebody might hire you for freelancing or they might be interested in you helping out a little bit further if a job opens up. Like, at least you're getting that experience because you now know or you will be uh, knowing people within the business. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure you've heard of this one, Dolly the Sheep. Yeah. Yeah, Dolly the Sheep gets cloned. First mammal ever to be cloned in 1996, July 5th. And it leads to a debate on the ethics of... Cloning? Yeah. Like, is it okay if we... Like, if you were to die tomorrow and we had the perfect sample of you, which is a very weird thing to say. (laughs) The perfect sample. Yes, the perfect sample of Nate Powers. We'd be able to recreate you and regrow you. Is that ethical? I think it'd be cool. (laughs) This is probably not the best person to ask. Nate is, of course, going to be the person to go, yeah, man, there could be two of me. I don't know. I put you way too stoner sounding. (laughs) It would be be definitely interesting. I mean. But, I mean, mean, what opinion would you have? You'd be dead. Yeah, that's true. I wouldn't be able (laughs) to say anything about it. So, yeah, it it brings up a very interesting point, like the ethical morality of is it okay to clone a human? Um, I don't know if you ever read the book The Adoration of Jenna Fox. Oh, my God. You know I, how that's the worst book of all time? It, it, yes. Yeah, so... I See, every time I talk about that, like, I'll bring that book up with people, and they don't know what it is, so I'm glad that... That somebody else knows that book, because that book was bad. Yeah, I don't know why we wrote it in, or read it in school. And here's the thing. It was just, it was so pretentious. It was just, it, like, I, I, there was a full two-page sequence of this, this person, this Jenna Fox character, kissing some dude. And it went on for two pages just describing it. And I was just like, I was like, and I remember reading it. And I was like, what is this? Why am I reading this? Well, I just want to say thank you to Mary E. Pearson for creating a book that I, I remember. I destroyed my copy. Yeah, I did too. I destroyed it. I tried to burn it. Like, no, first I tried to hollow it out and make like a, you know, like a hollow book thing. But it was a paperback, so it didn't work. And then I decided to burn it, but then my brother stopped me and was like, I don't know if that's ethical to burn a book. And I was like, okay, 
So I partially burned it, and then I just tore it apart and threw it in the trash. <laughs> yeah, it seems as though she's gone into fantasy writing now. Um, so, and her books are worth like barely ten dollars. So, eesh. Uh, yeah. So, not a huge fan of. I mean, I don't have anything against Mary E. Pearson necessarily. No, I don't have anything. But I have everything against the book she wrote. It was a terrible book. It was awful. It was one of my worst middle school memories having to read that book. And for those of you who don't know what the adoration of Jenna Fox is, basically, seventeen-year-old Jenna Fox wakes up from a year-long coma. And it was after like this devastating incidents that happened. It was a car wreck. Yeah, it, it was. It was something generic like that. Honestly, it was yeah. just kind of a boring thing that ended up happening. And her memory is gone. It's just. It's just blank, and she can't walk. Um, she can't do anything. And at some point, her eyelid starts to droop, and like crazy things happen, and this and that, and blah blah blah. Um, her body starts basically giving out, so she walks over to her parents. It's like, well, this didn't used to happen before I was in the coma, blah, blah, blah. And her parents are like, don't look down this hallway behind this door. And then the rest of the book is about, man, I love kissing boys. I love kissing boys. It's like this awful combination of like a weird dystopian sci-fi and romance, which, to be fair, is any young adult sci-fi romance book, you know? And like... (sighs) In between chapters, like the pages were like printed gray, and it was like something like it's like I'm falling, crashing, I can't see, I'm numb, and it's like something like like a poem or something. And I was like, I've become so numb. Like it's basically (laughs) like that. Like based like, oh, a leaf in the air, I'm floating, I can't feel, and I was like, like this is. This is terrible. Like this is so bad. It's genuinely awful. Like it's it's basically the same energy as like the dude going like Cynthia, Jesus died for our Cynthia's. I was like, oh, it just, it, it's so, that book was just so cringeworthy. Like I never read a book that physically made me that and Stargirl. Those two books oh. made me cringe. Like physically, I had physical reactions to the. I gotta look at that cover again. That happened in those books. (laughs) Do you remember the part in? Wait, who did you have in eighth grade in English? Jeff Miss Detweiler. No, I had McCreary. Oh, I was about to say, it's like, were we in the same class? (laughs) Jerry Spinelli. (laughs) But I remember one part in Stargirl. We were reading it. But we were listening to the audiobook at the same time as reading it in class. And there was literally one part where this dude's hanging out outside the girl's house, Star Girl or whoever she is. And he's just and just unprompted, it's just him like looking in the window of the house, which is already creepy. He's like sitting behind some like hiding behind her like one of the cars in the driveway and looking in through the window. And he's like all of a sudden he's just like I want to see her baby pictures. I want to look at, I want to watch her unwrap a present. I want to watch her sleep. And I was like, and I remember just me and like a bunch of other people class just like looked, I remember just looking up and looking at like other people in the class and like me and like some other, like two or three other people were just looking at each other. Just like, uh. what is happening right now? What am I reading? Like I was, I was just so disturbed. 
Alright, I'm gonna flip us back to the adoration of Jenna Fox, because I remember that one a little bit more than Stargirl. I yeah. honestly don't really remember Stargirl. But basically, that's the only part I rem- that's one of the only things that I remember from Stargirl, because it was just so just like just out of pocket and just completely just like just it came out of nowhere. Just right out of left field. It's already enough that he's stalking this poor girl. Now he wants to see pictures of her as a baby and watch her sleep. <laughs> the uh, the adoration of Jenna Fox, the car accident that happened was, you figure out in the plot, she died, and then they regrew her, regrew her as like a clone. 1% of her body was used, and the rest is like cyber gel. Yeah, and you know that brings up the moral dilemma that comes with Dolly the Sheep, except Dolly the Sheep is a much more interesting debate than the adoration of Jenna Fox. And the adoration of Jenna Fox would have been so, so, so much better if they focused on that key point of the ethics. what does it mean to be human? Are you human if you're 99% they not tried human? to, but... Basically, what they did, it's like the same, you know, it's like, it's, it's like Blade Runner, you know? Because it's like a lot of the, the whole thing of Blade Runner is like, what is it to be human? You know, and it's like you have, have you seen Blade Runner? A while ago. It was like rem- three hours and I... Who was the vil- Who was like the main antagonist? In that I can't remember his name. He's like the one, he's the guy that's talking about like tears in the rain and stuff like that. I, I love that character. But I can't remember his name. Uh, Roy Batty. Roy. Yeah. But like, wait, is it? He's the guy with the white hair. Uh, da, da. Yeah. It's Roy. Yeah. But I remember where he's like, you know, he's like, he's talking about it's like I like the whole point of the movie is just like he wants to extend his life. Yeah. Because like replicants only live for like a few years and they die and he's like i want because like he's basically like i want to live longer because i want to share the experiences that i've had you know and i want to i want people to like know about the things that i've seen and and like you know it's like it's a lot of that because you know you have the blade runners who are supposed to go out and you know kill the replicants or deactivate them. I don't know what the word is they use for doing, for, you know, killing them. But, like, you know, I feel like the adoration of Jenna Fox tried to do something like that. And they just, they didn't know how because they weren't Ridley Scott. So, yeah. Jenna Fox, if it if it had gone with an idea like that and it actually just focused on the ethics of it and the debate of it, it would have been I'm so not, interesting. I'm not kissing boys. Yeah, it's like, but they inserted all this romance into this sci-fi novel that clearly was meant to be about, like the original concept was clearly, is it ethical to... And at first it was kind of interesting. It was like, oh, what is, like, what's going on? And then it just was like... And then it just derailed. It just fell apart so fast. So here's one of the most recent reviews um, from Zoe Kopsik. The book was okay. I despised the main character. Uh, A total definition of a Mary Sue. Even before she turned into a robot, 
she was defined as perfect. Now, I'm not saying this review is a good review. It uh, was one star, by the way. Uh, she was good at sports. She was good at school. She was rich. She was pretty. And she was adored. The ending is written as a happy ending, but it feels terrible. One of the most important side characters, Alice, is completely against a fully man-made body. But at the end of the book, she's just okay with it. The whole world is overrun with these kind of robot people, you know, the cyber gel people. Um, it's insane. It was also infuriatingly slow. I agree with that 100%. Oh, and yes. So many plot threads weren't explored. A character called Dane was built up to be a threat slash maybe someone who also liked Jenna, but it wasn't explored at all. And it's just does this cheesy time skip and like, ugh. That was a, it's a it, it, one star it, review. It really was a mess. This but, book is missing so much. None of the characters are likable. Jenna is self-absorbed, <laughs> and her parents are privileged, rich people. Ethan had some problems that we didn't get to see because it added nothing to the plot, so the author didn't do anything about it. Don't waste your time. It was so predictable and cliche. Very slow book. It feels like it was setting up a more interesting sequel, but the sequels are even worse. Yes, there are two sequels to this book. There's sequels? At first, it was a little intriguing, and then halfway through the book, they are you reveal serious? what's going on. There's and they sequels? Drop. Yep. Uh, There's a are, follow-up to that book? Those are the two? top three reviews, and they're all one star. So it's uh, Fox Forever. Or, sorry, Forever. I didn't even mean to say that. Fox Forever, the Jenna Fox Chronicles. And then the fox inheritance. Oh my god! Uh, so this one is equally as hated um, or as poorly received. Uh, Locke Jenkins has some catching up to do after spending 260 years as a disembodied mind in a little black box. He has a perfect new body. The Jenna Fox Chronicles. Get out of here. Yeah. Uh, doesn't even seem like it has Jenna Fox in it. <laughs> what? Oh, this is the third book. Fox Inheritance is the second book. Oh, no. Oh, that's why. Okay, all right. Once there were three, three friends who loved each other. Oh, God. This is starting off so... What it? <laughs> oh. Jenna, Locke, and Kara, or Kara, I imagine it's Kara with the way Three friends who loved, loved each other. other. <laughs> Jenna, Locke, and Kara, <laughs> and after a terrible accident, destroyed their bodies. Their three minds were kept alive, spinning in a digital netherworld. Even in that disembodied nightmare, they were still together, at least at first. And so Locke seems to be the main character of the third one um, because I don't know if they all die or something, but for whatever reason, Locke wakes up 260 years later because his mind was in the network and is now back. It's like, why is it about Jenna Fox, but not at all? Because it's a badly written book. She's not even mentioned in the third book, or at least she's not even mentioned in the synopsis. In the synopsis, and it's called Fox Forever: The Jenna Fox Chronicles. 
Why? Why? Fox. Fox. Jenna Fox. It's mentioned twice in the title, not even in the synopsis. The Jenna Fox Chronicles. It's like you go into Divergent or Hunger Games. Like you go into Hunger Games, but there's no actual Hunger Games. Like everyone, like Katniss just starves to death in the first 15 pages, and it's the next 100 or so pages are about her rotting corpse. And like, <laughs> you know, you're just like, okay, well, why did we call this the Hunger Games when there's no actual Hunger Games? Because she was hungry. Yeah, it's like she died from starvation. There you go. There's your Hunger Games. What? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, young adult, I swear. Hey, young adult books is always. Used to, they used to be good. They used to be good. I really loved them. Man, they there there's great. so many stinkers, and they made us read so many of them. That and oh. speak, remember speak? Yes, I, speak. I hated speak. Speak had a good message to it. I don't know. I mean, it's just like it was just so. It was clearly like a forty year old woman trying to like talk like a high school kid, like now, a high school girl. There. You're one hundred percent right. She was a forty year old woman who. Uh, like and yes. it's just it's like I'm reading it's like you're trying to relate to like someone in my age group and like and I know that it's not like no oh hey here's a fun thing what with the whole Texas thing happening right now uh, in 2020 the book speak was named as the fourth most banned book and challenge book in the United States I mean and look this might this might be controversial the whole thing about the book you know the driving point the yeah, the, the, the thing the, that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably I, shouldn't say it live on air. <laughs> I, in my opinion, I think that that it was just for shock value because it's just be like, oh my god, like it's it's. I feel it's like exploitive towards people who are who experience that. Yeah, because that's the impression I got from reading it. Because I was like, this is just trying to pander to it and it's just hand it's so heavy-handed and just like poorly done and i was just like i was like i feel like that if i had that if this was me and i had been through this i would be offended by this book the Kristen stewart was 13 when she was in the movie um yeah i forgot they made a movie of that yeah so i think Part of the message of speak is very good, where you need to speak. You need to speak yeah. up. Like, people need to know about this, but you need to be able to talk to the right people, and sometimes it's hard to find the right people. The uh, The way the characters act, where they really just put her down every step of the way. It's not realistic. It's not realistic. Like, I know, I like mean, sure, there's people that will, like, do that. There's always people like that. There's terrible people out there, but not every person you meet is going to be like Ugh. yeah well like i i don't know how it was in 1999 um I, I mean i do know how it was i was born in 1999 but uh i don't know how school systems were in 1999 but that would not fly in 2020 or at least where we're from that wouldn't fly at all and if we're no. wrong feel free to correct us on social I mean, media yeah, send I, us some stuff send us an email or whatever but like I can't imagine but I just, that happening. Like everything about that book was just so like heavy-handed, just tried to hit you over the head with it so much, and I was just like, okay, like I, like I get it. Yeah. You don't like, and it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's just. 
I so, could be I could be wrong, and I'm, I'm you know I could get hated. I'm sorry, but that yeah. I mean, to be it. fair, it like just, it was. You know. How long ago did you read that? Like eight years ago, nine. Uh, freshman in high school. Freshman year. Right? That was probably. Oh gosh. See, if I'm 22, that puts me probably maybe seven or eight years ago. Yeah. It's been a hot second for me, too. And also, I skimmed most of the book because I just didn't care. I hate when school tells you you have to read this. I, see, there were some books where I you know, I really liked. Like, you know, like in eighth grade, there weren't a lot of books that I read in eighth grade that I really liked. I really liked Flowers for Algernon, though. Oh. I loved that. That was a good book. It, was even, it wasn't even the whole book. It was the short story. But I did read the whole novel recently. It was really good. I loved it. I loved that book. Even though, you know, it's it's not the most accurate, you know, it's, I mean, it's science fiction, so it's like whatever. But, like, it's such a good book. It's so well written because it's, you know, the way, because it's like in a diary form and starts out and it's like misspelled, you know, poor grammar. And then it gets better and then it gets worse again. And I'm just like, and I just, I love the idea of that. It's really great. You know, like The Great Gatsby. I loved it. To Kill a Mockingbird. I also really liked that book, too. Careful, that one's banned true but you know a lot of people hated to kill a mockingbird i liked that book you know i liked boo radley you know i liked all the characters in it and i really liked the great gatsby and i liked even like uh of mice and men and stuff like that there were some good books i read that they had us read in school but some of them were really bad i Jenna think fox <laughs> what we're gonna do is we'll keep on this subject and i'll just cut out the first 40 or 50 minutes and either put it as a standalone episode of just 1995 or like whatever, and we'll just keep talking about you know what we had to read in high school because we're barely getting into 1996 and we've got half an hour left. We're not going to get through four <laughs> yeah, years no. of the 90s, but that's fine. I mean, we've de- you know, we're we've, here to talk and we're passionate about what we're talking about. We've derailed. We have very much so derailed. So uh, I'll just I'll go into editing tomorrow morning and. <laughs> cut stuff out and you know do you ever see the notifications i put out for uh the episodes no no do you want me to start tagging you on facebook in them i did notice you tagged me once on facebook yeah. but like i i'm never on facebook and like and very rare like i just check it like probably like a couple times like a month just when i'm bored <laughs> and well, I'm i just... know you're not really a social media guy in general I like I'm on I'm on Instagram a lot and I'm on Snapchat a lot but the thing is I don't post a lot. Mm. I use Snapchat to like text my friends. Well, I see like a lot of the times you end up liking pictures or something that I put out. Like I don't yeah. know if you follow the Retrospection Radio account. I think I do. But I see the madman watching rainbows has liked your photo. <laughs> See, I like, <laughs> I, I love that name because people see it and they're just like, what is that? What does that even mean? It feels so hippie. Like, it feels like you made oh, the account. Do you want to know school. what it is? I, you want to know how I got it? Yeah. The, I made that name in the throes of my, of my, my Beatles phase. Ah. And there were two songs that were like on a bootleg and they were called The Madman and the other one was called Watching Rainbows. And they're played in sequence, and I really liked those songs. And, you know, so I was like... You know, the Madman Watching Rainbows. And I was like, that's a cool thing. 
And now it's just like people see it's like, what is that? And it's like, and I just, I've had it for so long. I've literally had it like that since I was like 14, like since I was in middle school. And I just, I, I don't have the heart to change it. <laughs> I just, I love it too much. Like I've, I've, I have tried to change it before. I have somewhat recently and like, I'll change it for like two seconds and then I'll just change it right back. <laughs> like it's really long and unwieldy. And like most of the time when I tell people, like it's like when they try to find me on Instagram, <laughs> I just tell them, it's like, just search Nate Powers and you'll find it. <laughs> like, just... The madman watching rainbows. But yeah, I've never, I've never said that to the world. Now the whole world knows. Cat's out of the bag. Yeah, so many people are gonna go follow you on Instagram and laugh that you haven't posted for like five years. I think the last time I posted was in July, late July, and it was when I saw the Reverend Horton Heat. I need to post more, you know. <laughs> I need to be more active. Yeah, but that the CIA will know that you uh. They know that I play bass. Yeah, <laughs> the video. They'll get you there. <laughs> oh, I gotta. I better post one of me playing guitar so they know that I do that too. <laughs> Maybe they can find you a job. <laughs> I've already got one. What I want them to do is help me find a band. <laughs> yeah. That if the CIA, if you're listening out there, any CIA <laughs> operatives, if you can help me find a band, that'd be great to man. play in. That can put up with my weirdness. Ah, uh, in my eclectic tastes. Uh, since we were on way. the subject of stuff that we read in high school, I'm like, what were some of the things I read in high school? And I'm just going through a list of like the top books uh, I read from that time. I, I read a. Uh, it, it wasn't assigned, but I chose to read it. It was on two different occasions. It was once in humanities, because it was like I think it was like you can just read any book you want. Or something like that. And I was like, I'm going to read Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh, okay. I didn't finish it, <laughs> but I faked it. Because I, I watched the movie, and I kind of just had a basic understanding of the story. So I was just like, and I totally faked it. But then, in senior year, when I had uh, Film and Lit, I don't know what we had to read a book for. I don't know if it was like, it was for something. But I remember I asked, like, can I read this book for this project and she was like sure <laughs> why not sure and i read and i read it all and i'm glad i did because the book is very diff is like you know there's differences from the movie but i love that book i you know i i love fear and loathing in las vegas it's a it's a real crazy book did I you ever have to uh read moby dick no no i kind of wish i did what i did read though very... was heart of darkness oh <laughs> Uh, I did, but the way we read it was kind of interesting. Like, because I had it in uh, humanities, I had Mr. Grannis, uh -huh. and I liked the way he taught because he would do like the way he would read books was like have us read books for the you know as a class. It would be really like engaging. Like he'd like do like activities for it. Like I think it was like each uh, group, like a table would read like uh, a part of the book, and we'd put it together and stuff like that. And even, like, the way we read Hamlet, we kind of did something similar like that, but there were more, like, you know, interactive kind of, like, things about it. Like, we had, like, little activities involved with it. Like, we had to, like, make a paper mache mask or something like that at the end of it. And, like, you know, stuff like that. But I do remember Heart of Darkness because it was just really just crazy. And, like, a lot of the imagery was really interesting. And then, like, 
when I watched the uh, Apocalypse Now, I watched it when I went in. I didn't know that it was based on Heart of Darkness. Yeah. So when I was watching, I was like, I was like, wait a minute. Whoa. I was like, this is Heart of Darkness. And it was like, this is Kurtz. And he says, and he says the line, he says the horror. And I'm like, and I really like that. You know, I've I like, because, you know, I'm really fascinated with the 60s and Vietnam and stuff like that. And I also really like Heart of Darkness. And, and I was like, those are two things together I would never expect. But I love it. <laughs> oh, I, so the first thing on Google, it's Apocalypse Now, Heart of Darkness. It's like the first search result I have. Maybe it's because Google's listening to our podcast. If they are, they should give us a five-star review. They should. I want to know what Google <laughs> thinks of us. That's right. Five-star review. And Google, if you're listening and you like us that much, why don't you just throw us on your homepage? John Google, Mr. Google, please listen to us. So I had a teacher um, who uh, looked like the Lorax um, and I somehow uh, doubt that he listens to I this know podcast. Who you're talking about? He was one of my favorite teachers of all time. I didn't have him, but the way I know him was he donated his record collection to the prop closet to our theater department. Well, he gave me, and I, and I took a couple. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, he gave me the Shadow Nose and Suspense in script books, and then he oh, yeah, gave the me, yeah. And then he gave me the cassette player, or the cassette tapes for a bunch of old time radio, and that's how Retrospection Radio was was born. Was born because I listened to him. Yeah, because it honestly, like, I have him to thank in my own drive and passion. Like, he is the one who got me into it and realizing, oh my god, I didn't there's know. I I wish I I wish I'd had him and like you know got to interact with him. He seemed like a really cool guy. So the reason we call him the Lorax is because he, if you look up a picture of the Lorax. He looks like them. They're the Lorax. Like, you know, I, I don't know how else to say it. Like, the Lorax is the perfect depiction of what that man looked like. <laughs> just because, I just don't know. He's kind of, you know, he's kind of plump. He's got that mustache. Yeah. The Lorax looks like he's kind of bald on top. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's the perfect description of this teacher. But he was, was one of my favorite teachers. Was he, he okay with like, did people know oh, that they called him that? Yeah, he knew. And uh, if you called him the Lorax, he would chop down your tree. Uh, things wouldn't go over well. He would get mad about He'd that? He'd get mad. Yeah, well, because it's offensive, you know? You yeah. walk up to someone, you're like, wow, you look like this guy who speaks for the trees. And he's just like... Shut up. Yeah, like, <laughs> stop. <laughs> I mean, it's like... I feel the same way because... Uh, no, never mind. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. Well, that. so we had a principal who looked like Buzz Lightyear. And one year he dressed okay, up he, as Buzz Lightyear. He looked like Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, exactly. And Something he also, about the people in Westerville Central, they look exactly like certain depictions in media. And he acted like I don't, I don't like I liked him because I thought he was really funny. But he he was really just the way he acted it seemed like he was like an alien trying to act like a human yeah and i but that's what i but i loved him for that like i never i didn't dislike him because i thought he was like completely hilarious but like you know <laughs> i but like unintentionally hilarious like i i was i wouldn't say i was laughing at him but i was just like this guy is just so remarkable and he makes me <laughs> laugh <laughs> he 
Westville Central had a lot of people like that that just looked exactly the same as something from pop culture. There was one dude who looked I I heard some people say he looked like Toby Maguire. I thought he looked like Elijah Wood. And for some reason, a lot of the girls had a crush on him. Oof. <laughs> Even though he looked like a mix between Toby Maguire and Elijah Wood. And like Toby Maguire has that really bad underbite where his like chin is like basically inside of his head and <laughs> You know, Elijah Wood kind of has that too, ish. It's like it was the eyes that did it for me. They just have the like the weird kind of like eyes. You know what I mean? Because they both have oh, like really yeah. striking eyes. Yeah. You know what teacher I'm talking about, though? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> there was one teacher that like was one of the art teachers. People said that I looked like him because I had like kind of long, shaggy hair at the time. Yeah. And I kind of had the same like demeanor and just like niche interests like he did. Yeah, you looked like a hippie. Well, you know, like. <laughs> well, well, you know. Well, I, I wouldn't really describe this art teacher as a hippie. Or maybe he was a former hippie. Former hippie, yeah. But there was literally <laughs> one time where I was like, I used to hang out with him a lot. And I like. And the weirdest thing was I didn't have him as a teacher until like senior year. And I met him like my sophomore year. And like, we were like, we were buddies. <laughs> like, <laughs> I used to hang out in his room because like my other, my main art teacher that I had at the time, I used to hang out in her room during study hall. And eventually she was like, you can't hang out in here during study hall. I have a class and you can't sit out in the hallway. So you have to go to this other teacher's room. And I was like, okay. So I'd hang out in there because he didn't have a class and like I would just work on stuff and like I would overhear him talking about stuff and he would play records and stuff like that. And like and then I don't know how it happened. but We just started talking and then I was like, I really like this guy. And then like by the time that I got actually like got into one of his classes, he was like he was so excited. Like on the first day when I saw him, I was like, hey, what's up, man? He's like, hey. It's like, at long last, you know, you're in my class. And I'm like, I know, man. <laughs> I love him, though. He was hilarious. He used to talk about being a Meyer manager. Ah, uh, yes, I've heard some of these stories. And he he was funny, dude. Uh, the, the people at Westville Central, what can I say? There so, were some funny people, like teachers, like there were some funny people working there. Like, hilarious. The Lorax made us read The Importance of Being Earnest. Have you ever read that? No. What is that? Uh, so it's a play because um, he taught an acting class, and I took the class multiple semesters because I had study hall. So I had a, quite a few study halls because I knocked out a lot of classes in my first two years. Um, but basically, it is a play by Oscar Wilde. Um, oh, Oscar Wilde? Yes. Oscar Wilde. You know, I know a guy that looks like Oscar Wilde, and I think you do too. Let me pull up a picture of Oscar Wilde. Doesn't he look like somebody that we know? Yes, he does. <laughs> yeah, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Oh, man. All right. And I always, and I realized that I was like, he looks like him. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't want to. Should yeah. we say his name? No, for. <laughs> For anonymity's sake, I'm sure this person wouldn't care, but, you know. So, yeah, Oscar Wilde. Maybe uh, we should have him on the show someday. That'd be fun. 
That would be. It would be. It we would only make, have two microphones, but it'd be fun if we, you know, if we do it back in my apartment, we get a few it would more make, microphones. It would make for a very interesting show, especially me and him, the way we feed off of each other, in <laughs> just absurdity. <sighs> so. So what's the the importance of being earnest? Yes, the importance of being earnest. Uh, here's the synopsis: the play is set in the present present that's it there's no more synopsis (laughs) (laughs) i'm not joking with you the play is set in the present what happens oh okay well yeah if you want to know that that's fine um you've got act one act two and act three because three act play um basically um what ends up happening is uh a bunch of Idle young gentlemen um, are receiving their best friend, Jack Worthing, also known as Ernest. Um, Ernest has come from the country to propose to Algernon's cousin. Algernon is one of the two, um, or sorry, Algernon lives out in the country, and Jack Worthing, Ernest, is coming to marry his sister. Um, or propose to Algernon's cousin. Let me tell you. Uh, Gwendolyn Fairfax. Uh, Algernon says no. Um, and uh, Algernon refuses to consent. Ernest explains that his cigarette case bears an inscription that says, from little Cecily, um, with her fondest love to her un- er, to her dear Uncle Jack. And Ernest, um, Jack Worthing, is forced to admit to living a double life. So, basically what ends up happening is um, he was going off and... You know, it'd be better if I just searched up in synopsis. Being Ernest... So it's spelled Ernest as in E A R N E S T as in I'm gonna be earnest with you. you Not know. like Ernest, like saves Christmas. Correct. However, Ernest is the name of the character. So it's a double entendre? Is that the proper phrase for that? I, I don't know. Like a Yeah, maybe. Um This is a terrible synopsis. This is also a terrible synopsis. Wow. Nobody has a good synopsis of this. <laughs> Nobody? Yeah, hold on. Um, here we go. You have John Jack Worthing, Ernest, and Algernon Algy Moncrief, who create alter egos named Ernest to escape their tiresome lives. They attempt to win the hearts of two women who, conveniently, claim to only love men called Ernest. Um, which is, you know, funny. The pair struggle to keep up with their own stories and become tangled in a tale of deception, disguise, and misadventure. The elaborate plot ridicules Victorian sensibilities with some of the best love, blah, 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 blah. So, if you remember, lend me a tenor. You know how you had those two main characters? And then they became 
what's his face and everyone thought that they were the same person and they kept walking in the room and yeah yes that's what this is so it's just one of those misunderstandings you know? exactly so they are both so it's gentlemen like the plot of garfield 2 a tale of two kitties oh yes of course <laughs> um it actually kind of is you know because that, that's what it is, is you have two Who men. Who would have thought that a Garfield are, movie would be inspired by Oscar Wilde? <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's fair. You have two men named Ernest, and they're both living their independent lives, and they're friends, and they're pretending to be the same person um, until eventually, you know, marriage starts to happen, and the women are like, oh, I love a man named Ernest. And they're like, well, I'm named Ernest. No, I'm named Ernest. And um, they kind of make fun of each like. It makes fun of Victorian England. It makes fun of class and society and how women are treated and how men are treated. Like it basically is a political commentary of the time. Um, I like the idea of that. Yeah, it's a. It was a funny show. Um, of course, we can see. I clearly don't remember it. Uh, sorry, Lorax. Um, I feel even worse calling him the Lorax, but I just don't want to say his real name. Sorry, Lorax. Sorry, Lorax. Um, you ever read I Know Where the Cage Bird Sings? No, what is that? Maya Angelou? No? no. I haven't read any Maya Angelou. I really want to, though. So I didn't read it. Well, I did read it in high school, but I didn't read it because of high school. Um, basically... Uh, can't say these words again, but the same thing that happened in Speak um, happens to Maya Angelou. And, oh, yeah. It's a, it's a bad thing. Yeah. She was eight years old, and she basically writes about her experience with assault and racism while growing up in the Jim Crow South. Um, it's an autobiography uh, of which Angelou, Angelou, Angelou wrote uh, at the urging of her friend and fellow writer James Baldwin. Uh, who was one of the first written, or sorry, it was one of the first written works um, published and created this big uh, by a black woman to reach a general audience. So, like, I believe it also has a poem. Yeah, I know why the caged bird sings poem. Uh, I believe this one's in... Yeah, a free bird leaps on the back of the wind and floats downstream to the current ends and dips his wing in the orange sun rays and dares to claim the sky. But a bird that stalks down his narrow cage can seldom see through his bars of rage. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The cage bird sings with a fearful trill of the things unknown but longed for still, and his tune is heard on the distant hill, for the cage bird sings of freedom. The free bird thinks of another breeze, and the trade winds soft through the sighing trees, and the fat worms waiting on a dawn-bright lawn, and he names the sky his own. But a cage bird stands on the grave of dreams, his shadow shouts on a nightmare scream, his wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The cage bird sings with the fearful trill of the things unknown, but long for still. And his tune is heard on the distant hill, for the cage bird sings of freedom. So, apply that to, um, slavery. Like, the cage bird is a slave, um, yeah. and then the free bird is not. 
Um, but basically, I know about this poem um, and the book because I did something called uh, Poetry Out Loud. Uh, do you remember that? You know, I think I do. Yeah, I remember. Uh, was that where like you have to memorize a poem and like you have to exactly? Yeah, I knew someone that was that did that. Me. <laughs> it was you, and it was uh oh, it was another. It was this one girl I knew that was that was dating my brother at the time. So, what happened was. I did it for two years, junior and senior year. Junior year, I ended up going to uh, states and getting second in the state. I almost got sent to Washington, D.C. because of my um, recitation of poetry. I really, really love poetry. Um, and I write it, I write poetry a lot. Yeah. It's just a good way to express yourself. Um, and eventually, uh, the next year, I got third place? I think, or maybe runner-up. I don't know. I got really high again, but not first place because I missed a singular word because you had to memorize the poems, and I messed up a singular word. Uh, it was like a stutter or something, and I lost. That's my problem. Like, Even if it's something that I wrote and like I memorized it because I wrote it, I'll still mess it up. <laughs> like if, I just, like, if I'm just like sitting alone, I'll just try to see if I can remember it. And I'll just, you know, just try to say it out loud, just like, oh, do I know it? And I'm just like, I'm Speaking like shucks. Speaking of remembering it, uh, I'm going to read this poem. This is the one in um, senior year that, like, so, okay, hold on. I'm going to go back a little bit. Um, I lost senior year to a blind woman, um, which is pretty cool. That is uh, cool. Of course, I was mad at the time because I wanted to make it. But she read A Cage Bird. And that was the year that it went into public domain. And everyone read A Cage Bird. Everyone recited it. And I had looked into reciting it because I saw, I was like, oh, Maya Angelou, I might as well do that. And the teachers, the Lorax, um, and a few of the other teachers said, no, 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 Noah, don't do that. Everyone is going to do that. And they were right. Everyone did it, um, but she what ended did, up making it because she was a blind black woman who did an amazing job. And the fact that she, like, I don't know how she memorized it, um, probably like listened to it over and over again. But like, you could see in her face the feeling of the poem in her expressions. It was like you know how Stevie Wonder, whenever he played music, he would just like kind of sway and like you could tell he was feeling it yeah ray charles yeah and they like they feel the music Mm -hmm. that lady could feel the poem and you just could see it and feel it with her which was so cool um but i lost (laughs) that was the year i did what can you do ozymandias by percy bish shelley i met a traveler from an antique land who said Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, these words appear, my name 
is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. And that's pretty much exactly, because I did that, I would do that for hours a day, for months, to prepare for this poetry recitation contest. No, I remember that. I, The first time I heard that poem... Have you seen? Do you remember that movie that that Coen Brothers movie that came out on Netflix a few years ago? It was called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I know the name. I never watched it. It is a really good movie, and uh, there's one one of this. It's like an anthology. There's like a bunch of stories in it. Yeah. And it's not my favorite one, but it is a really good one. And uh, it's like. I don't want to give too much away about it, but that poem is in it. And like, he reads that poem and like, I was like, it's like Ozzy Mandy's. And then like, I heard the opening line. I was like, and I was like, Oh, <laughs> I met a traveler from an antique land. So it's just such a powerful poem because it's literally, it is in the way it's read in the movies. Like he's like, you know, he's like, ah, like really dramatic and theatrical and stuff. Exactly. And just like, I was like, Oh yeah. Like, well, and that's the way the feeling is. I have studied this poem for so long. <laughs> um, basically, the idea of the poem is, I met a traveler from an antique land. You're the narrator. You're the one recounting the story that you heard from someone else to the audience. So you were never actually there. You're a secondhand source. Um, and it's just some random guy that you met. Like, imagine drinking at a bar and somebody walks up to you and just starts telling you the story of two vast and trunkless lakes of stone stand in the desert. And the irony is, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, in despair. That is on the plaque of the two vast and trunkless lakes of stone, meaning that there's no body attached to the stone. You don't know where that is. It's just two legs in the middle of the desert with a plaque on them that says, look how amazing I am. I've created the best kingdom there is. But there's nothing there. Nothing at all. Because the kingdom that they created did not stand the test of time. So it's basically this really amazing poem about ego. I am better than everyone else. Look at what I've done. Give it 10 years and what you've done now, it's going to have fallen apart. You're no Everything, amazing person. Nothing lasts. Exactly. And I... Like, I love, love, love the ending because you have Ozymandias bragging through that plaque and it ends with, of that colossal wreck, meaning of the uh, two giant stone um, uh, legs, boundless and bare, the lone and level sand stretch far away. So it's just an empty desert. And then you've got this guy standing here saying, look how amazing I am. Look at my society. And there's nothing. There's desert. It's such a powerful that is poem. A very, it is a very powerful oh. image. And Cagebird is the same way in that power, that feeling that for someone who studied it a little bit, not long enough, because um, I was like, I'm still going to do it anyways. I doubt everyone else is doing that. And then I changed to Ozymandias. Um, That's fair. There is. Was there anyone that did anything like really crazy long? 
Oh like, my god! Like did somebody do Howl by like Allen Ginsberg or something like that? People did the path least taken. How long is that? Because uh, like readings, because like if you listen to like Allen Ginsberg read like path less traveled, l- read Howl, it's like twenty minutes. He's obviously not like memorized it because you can hear him like flipping the pages as he's doing it. But like, I w- like if someone did something like that. Like, that would be really remarkable. Like, oh. a long, epic poem. You know, The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Uh, it's not as long as I thought it was. That year, I read three poems. I had Ozymandias, which was my favorite, and the one that got me, like, I read it perfectly and got a perfect score on that. Um, and then I had a one that was, like, really long. Um, and it was basically about this army that met another army in a valley and everyone died and there's only one person left and there was nothing left or like they just looked at the death and said what was the point of this um my first year i don't remember my first poem i did but i do remember actually i had news articles written about me i'm sure i can just search up noah martin poetry out loud Westville Central's Noah Martin takes second in state. Poetry Out Loud contest. Oh, yeah. That name just... I wish I did. I kind of wish I did that because, like, I wasn't... Because at that time, I really wasn't into, like, poetry. Like, I kind of just was, like, barely getting back in. Because I remember when I was in, like, elementary school and, like, they're like, oh, we're going to teach you how to write poetry and how it works and, like, rhyming and stuff. And I really got into it. I mean, sure, my poems are really primitive and, like, you know, whatever, not very, you know, because I was starting out. But, like, you know, like, writing haikus and stuff, I loved it. And I forgot how much I loved it. Like, it was just something that just kind of got pushed in the back of my mind. And then, like, I think what really helped me get back into that was my freshman year of high school was when I really started to get into Bob Dylan and like I listened to like I think it was like Bob Dylan's greatest hits volume one and like you know it has like all those you know like like a rolling stone and rainy day women and um subterranean homesick blues and like you know blowing in the wind and stuff and like and it made me realize, like, I was like, wow, like, these lyrics, like, really powerful. It's almost like poetry, right? Like, it's something you could just read and not sing. And, like, it would still be, like, equally as powerful as listening to it in song. And that helped me, like, and it made me want to write lyrics. But I ended up, it ended up just being poetry because I didn't write any songs about them or any do anything <laughs> with them. They just stayed in notebooks. But, like that helped me get back into that. And even like within the last couple of years, I started to get back into writing haikus and stuff like that. And like, I'd write like, yep. a, I wrote a bunch of them and like, but it was like, you know, I wasn't that into it in high school. And I wish I was like, even now, like I'm not really much into like, like in terms of poets, like a lot of what I read is like, I like beat poets. Like I like Jack Kerouac and like, uh, Allen Ginsberg. And even those are mostly what I've, what I've read. And even, like, I think I read a little bit of Arthur Rimbaud, a little bit, because, but, like, I love that stuff, man. I really like it, because it's just a really interesting way to express 
Here is a poem I wrote um, a while ago. A while ago. This is high school, very, very early poem. When I was younger, my grandfather gave me a gift. Kiddo, he said, this box contains the secret to life. This key opens it. It has been passed down generation to generation. Now I pass it to you. The day will come when you know its contents, but you must never open it. Man can never see what's inside. It would destroy him. A year later, my grandfather passed away. Now I could peer inside without worry. But his words rang through my head. That box taught me something on that sad day. When I was 13, my house burned down. Everyone was safe. Don't worry. I managed to traverse the flames, escaping the treacherous heat with the clothes on my back and the box. When I was 18, I went off to college. Alone. No friends. Nowhere near home. But I took comfort in knowing that me... I took comfort in knowing that with me was the box. A constant I've had since childhood. A memory of my grandfather. Have I been tempted to use the key and disobey him? Yes. What is the secret to life? How does one find it out through a box without ever opening it? But my grandfather tasked me to protect the secret of life. One evening, after a long day, when I was 40, long after my teenage youth of being devote and loyal to my grandfather and his memory, I decided I ought to know what's in the box. After all, it is my right to know, as the keeper, should anything happen to it. I should be able to replace whatever was inside. I shook the box, giving in to temptation. There was no tinkling of coins inside. There was no thud of an object. I knew now what was inside. The secret to life. Nothing. I like that. Yeah. See, it kind of hits. I wish I could. I, I Most of the poems I write are really short. I wish I could write, like, longer poems like that. Yeah. I need to go through and edit this on my own time. I haven't I looked wish, at I this need, in I need to probably br- four years. I have, like, a notebook, like, a little notebook somebody gave me. You know, like, one of those just, like, little journal things. You know, it's, like, some like, says, like, not all who wander are lost. Lost, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and I... <laughs> And I, I, okay, Tolkien. But that's like my main like, like I write so much poetry in there, and like some like it. I, I, I. At first, I set out to like try to write lyrics, but now I just mostly just write poems, and like I don't care if they become lyrics. Sometimes they have. I have a couple. I've only ever written like a few songs, like two songs. Yeah. But, like you know, sometimes at least one of them, like while I was at the sound engineering school we had to like our group had to like make a song or like write a song or even like do a cover but like we had to write a song and record it and i wrote the lyrics for one of them and like 
a lot of them were just like stuff I already had or just bits and pieces of like, because I learned this method from Bob Dylan of how he writes songs. And it's that you write just a whole bunch, way more than what you need. And then you take the best lines out of them. Because like, it's like the way he, the way he wrote Like a Rolling Stone, there were like 50 verses. <laughs> and it was really long, but like he just took the best ones and then you have like a Rolling Stone, and it's, you know, iconic, and it's one of the greatest, you know, rock and roll songs and whatever, and, like, and I kind of did that, like, I was like, oh, like, this, this one is kind of bad, but this line is really good, I'm gonna take that, and I'm like, oh, here's this old haiku, I'm gonna, like, kind of modify it, and I'm like, oh, here's the beginning of one poem I have, because, like, part of it was, like, just spoken word, because I was like, all right, I'm just gonna show off my poetry chops, but I like doing it, you know, like internal rhymes and stuff like that and whatever and just like the rhythm. I like it. I am in the process of taking a trip down memory lane right now uh, with the whole poem stuff that we're talking about. Yeah, I'm going through my notes and I'm finding old ones, but like some <laughs> of them are they're not as some of them are not that good. I so John Straley, I want to send this guy an email. Uh, John Straley every single day. So this is what got me second in the state. Um, there are two poems I read. Grief by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, which is a good 1800s poem of basically do not grieve. When you grieve for no reason, like it, it's not worth it. Um, basically, when you're just they're yelling at God and like, why did this happen to me? And all of that. Yeah. That's not good grief. And you shouldn't do that. Um, because all you're going to do is wither away. Um, and that's such a strong one. There was another one I liked called the Wendigo. Um, and it's like, it's creepy. Um, oh, hold on. The Wendigo poem. And it's this really, Luis L. Erdrich, um, it's this really, really, like, demented, long poem. And it was written by Luis Erdrich about her kids and her husband um, from her husband's point of view. Because her husband did some stuff to their kids and then tried to make up for it because he realized what he did was wrong and eventually ended up committing suicide. Uh. And it's a really, like, super sad story to know the background behind it. And this was basically the author's way of dealing with grief by writing from the husband's, or sorry, from the kid's point of view on trying to save the husband and stop his depression and stop him from suicide. And it's like, because even though he had done these awful things, the poem ends, because do you know what a Wendigo is? It's a old Native American thing, um, like monster yeah. that went around and preyed on children. And basically, what it was was a man with like the heart of coal um, ended up becoming this monster that ate children. Yeah, I think I. Yeah, yeah, I do know what that is. So the only way to, I mean, there's multiple ways to do it depending on what source you're reading. Um, but from my understanding of a Wendigo, the way to get rid of the Wendigo, the evil, is to pull, pour hot coals down its throat and burn away the evil. Um, 
And that's basically what this book or this poem is about is like this kid goes to try and help save this person who's a Wendigo and is lost in the evils that they are and have done. And the kid saves the person and the person is just lost in themselves. And just the meaning behind the poem of what happened with her and her family and her husband and, you know, the suicide and the depression is just, it hit me so strong. But the teachers disapproved of it because of how, because of how the poem is. Like, yeah. it's it's a poem well worth reading. Um, but anyways. Is it like published anywhere? Uh-huh. Yeah, if you go to the Poetry Foundation, you'll be able to find it. So I read Grief. Um, I had wanted to read Wendigo, um, but I read something called Every Single Day after Ray Carver's Hummingbirds um, by John Straley, uh, who, saying that name alone brings me back. But uh, the poem, it's a nice quick poem real quick. It's from the point of view of a golden retriever, which meant a lot to me because I grew up with golden retrievers. Um Suppose I said the word springtime and I wrote the words King Salmon on a piece of paper and mailed it to you. When you opened it, would you remember that afternoon we spent together in the yellow boat? When the early whales were feeding and we caught our first fish of the year? Or would you remember that time off Cape Flattery when you were a little girl? Your father smoking, telling stories as he ran the boat. Then the tug and zing of that very first fish, spooling off into the gray-green world. You laughing and brushing back your hair before setting the hook. I know I am, I know I am hard to understand sometimes, particularly when you are standing at the post office with only a piece of paper saying King Salmon on it. But just think of it as a promissory note and that electric tug, that thrill pulling your mind into deep water is how I feel about you every single day. I was wrong. That's not the one about the golden retriever. The, uh... That one was good. Ah, uh, let's see if I can find that one. Ah, this is one. This was my third poem I did. Uh, but yeah, it was, I, I mixed up my poems. You know, sue me. It's been four years. Actually, it's been five years. But this one is basically a love story where he just mails a two words king salmon um on a piece of paper to the person he loves and wanted to see if they would remember the good times that they had together because those two words made him remember everything good about her i like that it's really loving um my final favorite i loved all of these poems so much but to be fair i spent Can I countless hours yeah absolutely i have one by alan ginsberg it's called it's from the book Howl and Other Poems, and it's called Song. But I really liked it because I thought it was just really compelling. But it's like, you know, it goes. Now, I'm not really used to reading poetry, so forgive me if it sounds weird and stilted. The weight of the world 
is love. Under the burden of solitude, under the burden of dissatisfaction, the weight, the weight we carry is love. Who can deny? In dreams, it touches the body. In thought, constructs a miracle. In imagination, anguishes till born inhuman, looks out of the heart burning with purity. For the burden of life is love. But the weight, but we carry the weight wearily, and so must rest in the arms of love at last, must rest in the arms of love. No rest without love, no sleep without dreams of love. Be mad or chill, obsessed with angels or machines, the final wish is love, cannot be bitter, cannot deny, cannot withhold if denied, the weight is too heavy. Must give, for no return as thought is given in solitude, in all the excellence of its excess. The warm bodies shine together in the darkness. The hand moves to the center of the flesh. The skin trembles in happiness, and the soul comes joyful to the eye. Yes, yes, that's what I wanted. I always wanted. I always wanted to return to the body where I was born. And that's it. What an interesting poem. <laughs> we, uh... I don't know. I just, I read it and I was like, that's like really, like genuinely really compelling to me. Yeah. Huh. Here we are. It's 10 o'clock at night. It's 10.10 at night. And we're reading poetry to each other live on the radio. <laughs> what what a... Do you want to hear one that I wrote? We're going to put people to sleep. <laughs> This one's really this one's really short. Sure. <laughs> I I wrote this while I was at uh school and like in the middle in, of nowhere. Yeah, in the woods yeah. of uh Chillicothe. This was one of the last I think I wrote this on one of the like one of the last days. But it's called Bleed. And it's not about blood. Growing trees bleed into rolling green hills carrying sounds of infinite origin. Common interests bleed from different perspectives, which bleed into free-flowing dynamic rhythms, thumping into the dawn with disorganized confidence and impeccable grace. Long-lost ideas bleed from soffit-mounted speakers across folded floorboards and mildewed windows. The mind, body, and soul bleed into a watercolor in the rain. My words bleed from deep within and into waves which bleed into others dissipating endlessly into intangible places of memory. From where do they come to where do they go? Wherever my feet will not take me. There you go. You got that nice little powerful ending there. It's good. I know. <laughs> that one was like, you know, most of them are just kind of like rhyming stuff. But that that, that was one of the first ones. I was like, I'm not going to try to just rhyme and be rhythmic. I was yeah. like, I'm just going to try to be... Feel the power, live in the moment. That's what poetry is yeah, about. Yeah, I remember I was sitting on my bed in my little, my little tumble-down shack, and I was just kind of sitting on the bed, and I was looking out the window, and I was just like, and I just kind of... I just felt it, I yeah. just scribbled it all down. I, uh, I write a lot of political poems that help me deal with because like i said earlier politics is very in the moment it is um so I, I write a lot of political poems that help me deal with the politics in the moment and like think it out and then you know nobody ever sees them but it just 
It's really calming, very good. I'm constantly writing. That's the that's the one thing why Retrospection Radio is so amazing, because now I've got a blog, I've got the history show, I've got the radio theater like today. I was I'm about halfway through writing another episode for next season and like it's just constantly writing and there's so many different forms of writing to express yourself. And poems man, I need to send an email to a few people from back in the past here soon. I need to go through my my archive and, and try to dig out some gold, some, some winners <laughs> or at least oh. ones that are like, that I'm competent enough to read in the public in a, in this kind of venue. Oh yeah. This one, because it's so stressful to be live on the radio. Ooh. Not even that. Just, it's just like, even like, like there's one, it's not, it's kind of a song. It's, it's more of just a, a waltz with feedback at the end <laughs> and a lot of noise, but it's about, but I wrote it about, I wrote it about Laika, the space dog. Oh yeah, yeah. And there's a poem at the end of it where it's basically like, I think I have it. I don't know if I do. I can read it real quick. It's short, but it's cool. And I'm happy about it. <laughs> It goes, despite all trials and recapitulations, calculation could not bring her home. Her pulse tripled in the heat. Sweet stray space mongrel, sleep deeply. From streets to stars you roam as you claim the cosmos as your own. <laughs> I like it. The uh... But it's like a little waltz. I call it the space race waltz. Oh, that's a nice name too. There you go. Yeah. That's a that's a good one. That's one I could definitely see people reciting on a smaller scale. I probably wouldn't make it into a well, the, poetry the, competition because, you know, it's like two stanzas. But yeah, uh, well, not two stanzas. It's one stanza. I like writing short ones cuz yeah. you can like it's kind of like Well, you can get some really good power with just four sentences. Like I I like writing short cuz like I don't I try not to be too long. Like I wit like I really want to try to like write really long poems. Not like ludicrously long not like something like i don't know what's i can't think of an example like evangeline or something like that like something like just really just goes on and i don't have a problem with poems like that i like them but like i just i'm not like i don't know like if i could keep an idea long enough or like i feel like i would go off track yeah i i get that feeling well and poetry is something that like you write in the moment and feel in the moment and then sometimes that feeling goes away and you go back over it and you're like, well, this isn't, or you don't finish it. Like your moment finishes before you finish writing the poem and yeah. then your poem just stops. And there was, there was one that like, I, I wrote it. It was one of the things I wrote for, uh, one of the songs I wrote while I was at school. And it was like the, the second half of it is like spoken word. And, uh, and basically like I wrote, it, it basically was just a bunch of little lines, just like a line. Like I remember like one of the, one of which I wrote when I was like on the way to work and like, I just, I saw something and it was like, I was like, Oh, that's, that's a good image. And I, like, I just like, <laughs> I just kept repeating it over and over in my head until like I was somewhere where I could write it. And there was another time where the same thing happened where like, something popped into my head when I was like just thinking about like I don't know what it was I was thinking about like something 
it was something my friend had said but like I kind of like was thinking it was turning over my mind and like I was on my way home from work and I stopped I was at a red light and I wrote it like on the back of my like clock out receipt <laughs> from work <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote like two of them and then like other one was like a random haiku I wrote and another one was like another thing that I wrote and I put them together and then like and it was just like so weird how it just like it all constructed from like stuff that was written like probably weeks and months apart like just like completely just way apart and then it all I put it all together and it just seemed so purposeful and like people were like I remember like people asked me it's like because there was it was a weird two-part song the second part was basically all me and the first part was kind of everybody else but like the second part like it was like two different it was basically two different songs and the first part was like I didn't really have a lot to do with but the second one like I didn't write the chord progression but I arranged it and like I wrote the lyrics and I structured it out and I was yeah. like it basically became my song <laughs> in a really weird way but essentially it was like someone asked me it was like what does like this mean like this whole song and I was like because I they wanted the right lyrics for the first part to try to connect it and I was like honestly I can't say that <laughs> like because I don't want to because like you know it's like it's like when when people try to ask Bob Dylan what his songs mean he just basically says no or like David Lynch when people no. like it's like when David like there's an interview with David Lynch and like he's saying like he says like I think he says uh, I think Eraserhead is probably my most spiritual film and like the interviewer is like can you elaborate on that and he just says no <laughs> <laughs> but like not and at I can't all. describe it because like if I did it would just I feel like it would cheapen it. Because, like, if I said, like, oh, it means this, this is what this is about, and this is the feeling I'm trying to convey with it, and it's like, no, it's like, you feel what you feel about it. And I that's pretty much what I said. It's like, you, it means what you want it to mean. I'm not going to tell you what it means. That's what I always liked about music is you, you put your own feelings to the music. Yeah. Like, a song that because is if meant I were, to be sad about a breakup could mean something entirely different to you because of where you are in life and what you've been going through. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, and right now, the like, the one that I wrote, I feel differently about it now than I did when I wrote it because it applies to a different part of my life. I mean, it still means the same thing. Like, it's still the basic, like, what it is. I'm not going to say it because... <laughs> We don't want that audio recording out there when you become famous. And it's just like, you know, and it's it's just something, it's something that's just personal to me. At the same time, it is, and at the same time, it's not. Like, like someone's like, I basically just described it as like, it's somewhat autobiographical, it's somewhat not. It's not really even about my life. It's just more of just a feeling, just about an emotion and just whatever. And it's just, you know... And that changes. And if I feel like if I were to say what it means or, like, if I told... Like, it's not even with, like, that specific thing, but just with any sort of thing you do, like a painting or a poem or a song or a movie that you make or a short film or anything like that or a book or a story. And if you were, to like, to say what it means, it just ruins how you interpret it because, like, basically that means, oh... Your interpretation is wrong, and this is the definitive one because I'm the one who made it. And it's like, 
I, I don't like the idea of that. It, it like it cheapens it because it's like, you know, every because like it's good to be like, oh, this is what this movie means to me. And then you watch that movie later, like many years later, and it means something different, like or even a book, even like, you know, like I've heard some people say like they read like like some I don't know, like book like a, like The Catcher in the Rye or something like that. They read it when they're like a teenager and then they read it like five years later they're like, this book means, like, it's completely different to me. Uh, I think you meant to say, instead of Catching the Rye, uh, and this is okay, it's a common mistake, uh, The Adoration of Jenna Fox. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did mean that. That book gets so much better with age. So, so good. One book that I went back to recently, it was something I read in middle school. And, like, things that I was into in middle school, I'm, like, really kind of cagey about because I was in middle school. <laughs> And it was fair. It was the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, I read that when I was like, I found on accident. It was basically like, oh, this is the reading project. You get to read whatever you want. And I saw it in the library, the school library, and I was like, so that's a really cool title. And I read it, and I, and I loved it. Like I absolutely was obsessed with it. It's funny. It's good. And I read it again recently, and I plowed through it in like days. <laughs> and I don't normally do that with books. Like sometimes it takes me like a few months to like read it. But that one, like I was like, I literally fit like, I was like, I, I don't know how I like managed to like think about it again. It just kind of popped into my head and I was like, it's like, yeah, this book. So long and thanks for all the fish. And I, yeah. <laughs> and I bought it. Like I don't normally go to Barnes and Noble and buy books. I usually try to go to half price and get them for cheap. Yeah. But I couldn't find it. And I was like, I need this book. Like I have to reread it. And I went back to Barnes. I went to Barnes and Noble and I bought it. And it was like some ludicrous price, like almost twenty dollars for a paperback copy or something From like that. Nineteen seventy or eighty, whenever they wrote it. Yeah, and it was like, and I was so happy because like I read it and I was like, this book is like probably one of my favorite books ever. And like I like when people ask me that, like in the past, like oh, what's your favorite book? I can't answer it. I can't, you know, it's like people ask me, like, what's your favorite song? What's your favorite artist? What's your favorite album? I'm like, I don't know. It's like, I have albums that I listen to a lot, and I have artists that I always go back to, but I can't say which one's my favorite. But I'd say that that book is probably one of my favorite books. And I don't know, because it's just, like, it's funny, but at the same time, it's kind of like, you know, it kind of has, it's pretty prophetic in what it, like, says about, like, life, you know? Yeah. Don't panic. Well, I mean, the the names of every book are just, get The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy from 1979, The Restaurant at the End of the Universe. I've only read the first two. Life, the Universe, and Everything. So Long and Thanks for All the Fish. Mostly Harmless. And Another Thing, dot, dot, dot. And it's funny because, like... This came out over the course of 10-ish years, 1979 to 1992. And then you have And Another Thing, which came out in 2009. Yeah. <laughs> 17 years I after that final book. I need to read those book. other books. I'm, I, I, but the weird thing was I had a co- like I, I read the first one because I got it from the school library. And then I returned it. And then I got a copy of the second one. I went out and bought it. And so I just had the second one. And I was like, I'm not going to read this because I need to read the first one first. And now I'm reading the second one. I, I still haven't finished because I've been, I've been lazy with reading lately. <laughs> well, so from my understanding, like the first trilogy, the first three or something are like really great. 
and then they start to go a little bit more downhill from there. I think they're still a really good series, but I think it's kind of like you start at the top, and then they slowly get a little bit less interesting from there. But, like, if you like his humor and his storytelling, it's all the same I think for all the books. At, uh, yeah, it's funny. It's like, I don't know. It's, I think it's. I think there was one thing where it's like, it's like one thing about humans is that they always feel the need to, like, to state the obvious or else they'll die. And it's like, actually, no, there's another theory. Uh, it's actually they need to keep talking and stating the obvious because if they stop talking, their brains will start working. <laughs> and, like, and even that, and even like, you know, just like the idea is like, you know, like don't panic because it says it on the cover of the book. And I was like, it's like, you know what? It's like, yeah, don't panic. We're going to blow up the earth. What? <laughs> yeah, it's like, we're going to blow up the earth. Sorry. And it's like, and oh. the dolphins just leave. Goodbye. It's, it's like, <laughs> the, the earth was a computer the whole time. <laughs> oh. It's like, oh, yes, I built the earth. Uh, do you know Nor? Have you been to Norway? I got an <laughs> award for that one. <laughs> He's like, I'm, I'm building Africa right now. I'm making, uh, I'm making it have fjords. <laughs> I'm making glaciers go over Africa right now. And they're just like, oh no, we don't need the second Earth anymore. We found a human that has the answer inside of his head. You know, it's like, oh, how do we get it out? Oh, we have to remove your brain and scan it. And then, like, there's one part where like the robots, like, it's like I found the question, like, because they're because they they build a computer. These aliens, they build a computer to try to find the meaning of life. The answer to life, the universe, and everything, which is 42. And they're like, well, what does that mean? It's like, well, you have to build a computer that can calculate the question. <laughs> and they're like, okay. And the, the computer happens to be Earth, and it gets blown up before they have the question. And then, like, but there's one human or, like, two that survives. And at one point, there's this robot, and he's like, I, I, I scanned the question inside of his brain through his brain waves. And it's like, and you knew that the whole time? He's like, yeah, you just didn't ask. And then, like, <laughs> you would think that after that, it's like, so what is it? But they they just move on. Like, they don't even, like, ask him. They're just like, okay, anyway, so let's go back to what we're doing. I'm just like, it's like, I would be asked, like, what is it? And they're just like. Well, and that's the point is, like, what's the matter? You know, yeah, it's, it's 42. Like, it's, like, it's like, screw it. It's oh. like. It's like, oh yeah, I know the question. Oh, really? Why? Like, why didn't you tell us the whole time? It's like, you didn't ask. And they're like, okay. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I remember they like get in an action scene or something. They get shot at or whatever, and maybe that was just the movie. No, that was that when the uh, when the when like they're on the run. Yeah, no, that I think that does happen in the book. They're getting shot at by like these cops, and they. <laughs> And they both just drop dead because their like life support system like died or something in their suits. And then like they went to the ship and like the robot was like this extremely depressed, super intelligent robot. And his whole thing is just he's just miserable all the time. And his name's Marvin. Marvin. The uh <laughs> Marvin the paranoid android. Marvin was played by Professor Snape. Yeah. And I'm the I, I never five movie. I never that? saw the movie. I watched the the BBC series uh -huh. from the eighties. Yeah, that's I, 
that's the one I like the best. I like that one more because I like the uh, the graphics of the uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide when they're like when it's describing stuff. But anyway, like they go out to the ship where these cops landed, and they're like, and Marvin's there, and they're like, it's like, what's going on? Like the ship is dead or whatever, and he's like, oh yeah, uh, there was nobody out here, so I decided to go up to this ship and talk to it. You know, and just basically, and it was like, so what happened to it? It's like it committed suicide. <laughs> and because the ship committed suicide, like this life support systems that was hooked, connected to the ship, to these cops, they, it went out, so they died. And it's just like, just everything happens just like of happenstance. Yeah, I was just like, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's a funny book. I was like, I, I like, I like this book. We are, we have gotten caught reminiscing. We, uh, it's ten thirty, man. It I'm is. normally in bed by this time. I know, man. We're <laughs> I'm go- feeling old. We're going, we're going overtime. We're, we're at two hours and twenty nine, two hours and thirty minutes. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Um, yeesh. Much longer of an episode than uh, than people generally like to listen to. That's fine. We had a good time. I like the poems. Thanks for sharing some of your poetry with oh, us. Yeah, no problem. This is actually this is probably one of the times I've actually like read my poetry to anybody. <laughs> I'm usually very private about my creations. So you're listening to 97.5 WOBN, The Wild Card. I have been Noah. And I have been Nate. This was Retrospection Radio Hour. If you like this, feel free to give us a five-star review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Play or anything like that. Go to www.retrospectionradio.com, and you can find where you can donate and listen to other podcast episodes and, you know, actually listen to episodes that have to deal with the 90s. (laughs) Rest in peace. Um, But, yeah, if, if you liked it, feel free to just... Listen to us and give us a like. Let us know what you think about some of these opinions that we share and all that. Uh, this is 97.5 WOPN, the wild card. We're going to go into our Wait, top of... 97.5? Yeah. That I thought that was WNCI. That's 97.9. Oh, geez. I'm losing my mind. <laughs> well, you made me... Because you asked that question, I had to look up at the banner. WOBN 97.5, the wild card. WOBN.net. Yeah, that's us. WOBN, the wild card. Yes. 97.5, WOBN, the wild card. Here I go, saying it for the 13th time in the past minute. Gaslighting you. Um, we're going to be listening to It's All Happening clean by saint motel but first we got to get to some of the top of the hour stuff so thank you thank you thank you we'll catch you on the flip side